This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, from NPR Music and Pop Culture Happy Hour, Stephen Thompson, and All Things Considered host, Audie Cornish. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners, to my guests. As you know, we usually begin the show with a song. A song. Oh, also, hi. Say hi. hi. <laughs> Sorry. Hello, Sam. <laughs> Thank y'all it's for being here. It's been a minute. <laughs> it has been a minute. I'm glad y'all on the show this weekend. Uh, as you know, we usually begin the show with a song that tells the story of some newsy thing from the week. We've been playing around with that format, trying other things. This week, we're going to play just a snippet of a song. Because if we play more than five seconds of it, your eardrums will bleed. Aww, <laughs> I think I know what this is going to be. Too. Okay, boomer, okay, boomer, okay, boomer, okay, <laughs> okay, now stop playing it. Please stop playing it. I'm making that my cell phone ring. <laughs> Have y'all heard this song, Okay, Boomer? Oh, yes. Yeah. Explain it for our listeners. Oh, do you want, to you want me to take song? a try? Okay, yes. so essentially the kids... <laughs> Gen Z. <laughs> Gen Z. Uh-huh. Not elder millennials. None of that millennials. You're old now. We are old. Gen are. Z is very annoyed with the way they believe prior generations have messed up the world. And whenever somebody says, like, you're too young, you don't know this, or something that seems sort of outdated or antiquated to them, they say, okay, boomer. Yes. Mm-hmm. And this um, phrase, okay, boomer, has yeah. like become a phenomenon. It it's is. All over the song's TikTok. amazing. <laughs> the song is by... Uh, Peter Cully featuring Jedwill. Very nice. It's all over TikTok. It's become several memes. There are OK Boomer t-shirts. In Gen Z style, the merch is dope, right? <laughs> that's yeah, that's how they are... fight the power through, <laughs> through immense creative purchasing. <laughs> but also, I have to say, like, because I have a 15-year-old daughter, and she will occasionally come back to me with OK Boomer. Even though you're Gen Are you a Boomer? Even though I am 47 years old, I am right smack in the middle of Generation X, a generation that has defined itself in opposition to baby boomers. That's true. And so it feels like a personal affront to me when she does this, <laughs> well, which is why X, she it, does it. it, it you're works. defined in opposition to everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 would also be on brand. Post the song once more, Brent. Okay. Okay. Hey. Okay. It's so distorted. <laughs> I wish I had this song when I first started at NPR. I was like 24, and any reference I made at all to like modern culture, someone would be like, "What do you mean?" And I wish okay, I could have been like, "Okay, boomer." Uh, as Aunt Betty said, I'm here with two great guests this week. Audie Cornish, host of NPR's All Things Considered, and Stephen Thompson, editor and reviewer for NPR Music, also panelist on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Audie, we're going to start the show as we always do, our panelists having three words on the week of news. Your three words are focused on the I word this week, impeachment. All in favor. 
Okay. That's my phrase because finally there was a vote. The vote was to move forward with a formal House impeachment inquiry. Mm-hmm. For people who are trying to play catch up, what's happened so far has been an inquiry done by committees, committees mm-hmm. who were tasked specifically with interviewing witnesses, with collecting testimony in private, in part because some of that testimony may have needed to have been classified, uh, in part because I think politically Democrats wanted to make sure they knew what they were getting into and possibly bring in a coalition of Republicans who sat on those committees who might be somehow swayed by the testimony they heard. Mm -hmm. Judging by the partisan vote we saw this week, none of them were convinced. And in fact, two very conservative Democrats also voted um, with Republicans against moving forward with an inquiry. So this vote will start to make a lot of what has been closed door impeachment proceedings public, Audie? We're going to see something shift? We're going to see something. Okay. Um, (laughs) You know, I think what's confusing to people is for those of them, yep, boomers, who saw the impeachment inquiry of uh, Bill Clinton, they saw a process that was first investigated by Kenneth Starr, right? Mm -hmm. So you had an outside committee doing the work that here we saw House committees doing. Mm. In this case, you have the House itself doing the investigation. There's nothing in the Constitution or whatever that says you can't do that. That is a way of doing it. But it has allowed Republicans to essentially make the argument, this is in secret. It's not how courts work, which of course impeachments don't work how courts work. (laughs) It's not the same or else we put it in a court. Um, But it very much is a believable argument to people, to voters who Mm -hmm. say, well, look, why am I watching a process that is playing out in a series of quote unquote, closed door Mm -hmm. testimonies. And yet the press is able to report to me word for word opening (laughs) statements. Right. right? And it's too media wonky to sit around and explain how that works. Mm -hmm. But it is very jarring. And I think this was supposed to put a stamp on it of a a sort of an official stamp to say, look, we're everything is above board. Yeah. My question with all of this is like, what does it change for the average voter American outside of the Beltway. I mean, I feel like at this point, there have been investigations into this president since he took office. And I'm not sure if Nancy Pelosi making this formal changes the way people think about it all. I mean, Adi, what do you think? You were out in what, North Carolina? I have to say you actually just nailed the description I heard in North Carolina. Now, I was sitting with evangelical voters, Mm -hmm. black and white, some with military backgrounds, with mixed opinions about the president. Mm -hmm. But I was intrigued by this sentiment, the idea that they've investigated him for so long. And I said Mm -hmm. to someone, well, it's actually only been a couple of weeks. And they were like, no, no, but you know, you remember. And they were referring to the Mueller report. They were referring to basically every scandal in a way. They kind of folded it into one long investigative conversation. Now, Mm. to that kind of voter, especially a suburban, uh, maybe center-right-ish person, Mm -hmm. these arguments that the president is making and that Republicans previewed in the House floor vote this week resonate, which Mm. is, look, they found something and now let's go to this show trial. Well, in that way, it allows uh, Republicans to shift from saying this is happening in secret to this is a show trial. Right. Mm. You know, because if the, if this had been done in public, 
there would have been a discussion about how about grandstanding and how this is all just meant to get headlines and get people on TV. And so it is a little frustrating to have so much of the debate about this be focused in almost entirely on process instead of the facts of, of the case, which I don't necessarily feel like I hear as much about from the parties involved. Listeners, if you want more impeachment coverage, if who you are you, listeners? <laughs> if, if you feel like Please it's impossible now to keep up, yeah, <laughs> to your local station. No, we're going to plug uh, my NPR friend and colleague Steve Inskeep. He is hosting a special podcast, stepping through the entire impeachment story and how we got here. It'll help you make sense of all the characters and what's going on. It's going to be in the Up First podcast feed first thing Saturday morning, and also on your local NPR station, Stephen. You have three words that are unimpeachable, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Not necessarily the biggest news of the week, but my three words are Jesus is king. Okay. No, I have not gathered you here to tell you the good news. (laughs) I would be fine with that. Um, (laughs) I think that would actually be a fantastic conversation for us to have. Oh, boy. But Jesus is king, of course, is the title of the new album by Kanye West. I hadn't heard. I know. There's almost no promotion of this work. Yeah, no discussions at all. And it is an album fully about uh, Kanye West's conversion to evangelical Christianity. And it is a a very gospel-infused hip-hop album. Um, and, and there's been a lot of curiosity about this. Kanye has been in the news constantly through through some of his political statements, mm-hmm. through various you know revelations about his life. Kanye is very good at staying in the news. Mm-hmm. And this album, you know, has finally come out and it is and as a as a music reviewer, I am I love a deeply felt breakthrough. I love strong emotions. I love I, I will take passionate misses over rote repetition of hits. Mm. Right? Okay. And as a human being, I love it when self-centered people locate a purpose that's bigger than themselves. I feel a butt coming on. But (laughs) I found this album extremely frustrating because here is this massive spiritual shift that has taken place in his life. And listening to it, it's like it's like when you used to take a math test in school and your brain knew the answer, but your math teacher docked you points for not showing your work. Mm. I feel like we we've never really gotten shown the work of this spiritual transformation. And so well, listen because you didn't have the money, class or power to get into a Sunday service. <laughs> this I'm is his just concert saying, series that he was doing. Yeah, yeah if you were up in the Calabasas mix. <laughs> yeah. You would have yeah. seen this transformation. Well, well, well t- talk to me about the Sunday services. Cause... Look, I'm not going to. Here's why. As a latent Gen Xer, I think Kanye is my new Madonna. I think Madonna is someone who people spend a lot of time comparing to other young women. No. She is a person who is always transforming from album to album, Mm -hmm. always creating. They weren't always hits. They weren't always misses. (laughs) And the patina of religiosity and spirituality and the conversation and dialogue with that community was always very present in her work. And like Kanye, you never quite were sure Mm. (laughs) where her spiritual connection actually was in all of that marketing. Yes, And it is the same with this. He is selling a dirty sock on the merch page. Yes. (laughs) This is the thing that I find frustrating as someone who has literally loved Kanye since day one and will probably always love him. 
there's a patina of prosperity gospel on top. Not yes. a patina, I it is. Like, really. It is. I mean, and that comes car, through on... His car karaoke with James Corden is on his jet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, he has these lyrics. So, like, my favorite song on the album is this one called Water. Mm-hmm. And it's this beautiful, thoughtful song. But then you listen to Kanye rapping, and you're like, <laughs> I don't like this. Right. Quote, in the song, he says, Jesus, please reveal. Jesus, give us strength. Jesus, make us well. Jesus, help us live. Jesus, give us That's wealth. wealth. Yep. This is my devil's advocacy, mm-hmm. ironically, for mm-hmm. Kanye West, as a person who has been ride or die for him um, for a very long time. There mm-hmm. has always been a strain of black political thought that is the Booker T. Washington kind of like, we got to do it for ourselves. We have to create wealth for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that is what I see he is reaching for, but doesn't actually have the academic knowledge to make real and manifest in his work. Yes. If people want to listen to an album that is infused with gospel in a way that feels both organic and joyful, you Uh have to go back to Chance the Rapper. Mm. That's That's why that album was remarkable yes. it was digestible a mm-hmm. to a white public that was like i don't know about the rapping and then they really liked that <laughs> yeah. because it was very easy to understand yeah. but it also is full of joy and love by someone this who does feel who does have a spirituality well and it's so sad because there would be no chance to rapper without kanye so yeah, much of the DNA exactly, of what Chance is doing exactly. comes from Kanye's earlier, it's happier, so more strange. soulful work. I feel like this album should be called TMZ is King. It just feels like, <laughs> you know, it is another performance. What does Kanye releasing a pseudo-gospel album say about the relationship between popular culture and Christianity right now, if anything? Or is it just a Kanye thing? I think it's tricky because... Kanye is at heart a performer. Mm -hmm. And so naturally, this performance of Christianity is going to feel performative. Yeah. And I think it is sometimes hard to convey these deep spiritual beliefs Mm. in a way that isn't cutting every corner. You know who's going through a transformation? Kim. She's getting right. her law degree. I, right. I want to know make more an album. About her. <laughs> yeah. One thing I will never listen to is a Kim Kardashian album. I'll tell you that. <gasps> oh, How dare you? I know. Also, but what, also, what has this world come to? Where she's where, at the White House where, and he's at TMZ? Well, sure, but where we're sitting here saying, you know who I want to know more about is Kim, Kim Kardashian. Kardashian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Listeners, stay tuned. After the break, we are going to talk about the Internet's favorite actor, Jeff Goldblum. He's become a certifiable meme. Someone you know probably has a crush on him. After the break, we talk to an author who wrote a book all about why we love Jeff. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Discover Card. You check things all the time, like your email or social media. But Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discover makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. When the economic news gets to be a bit much... Listen to The Indicator from Planet Money. We're here for you, like your friends trying to figure out all the most confusing parts. 
One story, one idea, every day, all in 10 minutes or less. The Indicator from Planet Money, your friendly economic sidekick. From NPR. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at Life Kit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. People are obsessed with zombies, whether it's watching them be hacked away on TV or planning for the apocalypse. So this week on Throughline, we're exploring the origins of the zombie. And just like the movies, it's a dark one. Throughline from NPR, the podcast where we go back in time to understand the present. (laughs) (laughs) Zombies don't laugh like that, though. No, that's true. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined this weekend by Audie Cornish, host of NPR's All Things Considered, and Stephen Thompson, editor and reviewer for NPR Music, also panelist on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour and super fan of The Masked Singer. <laughs> Just accept it. Just I believe it. I am also a sometime panelist on Pop Culture Happy You are. Hour. I'm sorry. You that are. You're leaving that out off of my CV is starting to bother me. Adi actually has eight jobs. <laughs> yeah, I think every description of everybody who has ever been on Pop Culture Happy Hour it's should sometime. begin with Pop Culture Happy Panelist on Pop Culture Happy Hour. I'm sorry, Adi. No, okay, I'm it's sorry. all right. You seem like a nice young man. <laughs> okay, boomer. <laughs> All right. Top line thoughts on Jeff Goldblum. Go. I think sometimes as as a people, we all just want to rally around one person and be like, you know what? We like him. That guy. Jeff Goldblum has become this guy. For whatever reason, across the Internet over the last few years, he's become universally loved and quirkily memeable in this Mm -hmm. fun, fun way. And he's like having a moment, so much of a moment, uh, that this week a trailer dropped for his upcoming Disney Plus streaming TV show called The World According to Jeff Goldblum. I'm not here to be uh, didactic or professorial in any way. This is like a fun house. I know nothing. That's the premise. It's a show just watching Jeff Goldblum go around doing fun stuff. He's become that level of celebrity. We just watch him walk around. To unpack this moment, I actually called up author Helen McClory. She has just released the paperback version of a book called The Goldblum Variations, which she wrote. (laughs) The book is this collection of, like, fictitious stories and musings and puzzles and games. (laughs) Subtitle, Audie's Fantasy Journal. (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) Okay. So this book is just, like... A fantasy riff on the idea of Jeff Goldblum. So uh, Helen talked to me about it, and here's our chat. Hi, Helen. Hi there. Do you have the book in front of you? I do, yes. I was wondering if you and I could read a bit of the start of it to let listeners know what it's all about. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'm actually flipping through right now to the first page, which is titled A Variety of Jeff Goldblums. Okay. A variety of Jeff Goldblums. 
The Jeff Goldblum that lathes and sands down a pine table, brushing the grain with the heel of his hand, bends down and takes a spirit level to it, saying gently to the wood, Well done, you. (laughs) The Jeff Goldblum that has never forgotten your birthday, having chanced upon it in the Wikipedia article about you, which he has started to contribute to, although he doesn't really know anything about you at all. And while his contributions are always peevishly removed by moderators, he is only writing kind and harmless things, like saying your favorite color is pink. When citation needed, it might not be so, though it might be because he, Jeff Goldblum, has surmised a favorability toward pinkness in you, stranger. The Jeff Goldblum that lets tears flow when he deadheads his roses in winter. The Jeff Goldblum that is reading these stories with his chin in his hands. My, my, my. (laughs) What a book. (laughs) So we have given listeners a little snippet of what the book is, but tell them what the book, The Goldblum Variations, is all about. It's um, an exploration of a variety of Jeff Goldblums across the multiple universes. And it's got little excerpts, microfictions, games, um, and even a choose-your-own-Jeff-venture. Oh, also, you should know, he's read aloud from this book. I know. Have you it seen that? It broke my brain when that happened. Yeah. But this is Gold uh, Goldblum Variations, and what's inside it? Ooh. Okay. I'm reading this. I got... This Earth sees Jeff Goldblum making choices he did not make in our world. So, okay, an entire book about this man. This is on the heels of his ongoing, or the Internet's ongoing obsession with him. Why do you think people like you and me and a lot of other folks are obsessed with Jeff Goldblum, perhaps more than we should be? So he's a celebrity. We know him. We think we know a version of him or versions from different films but he kind of has this quality that makes him kind of shimmer and switch in interviews and then we with the idea of celebrity as a kind of idea that we can fill with our own hopes and dreams people try and do that with Jeff Goldblum but it just ends up being this weird fusion I think and so that's why he's so memeable yeah well and he also I've noticed the fact that he is benevolently mischievous. He's Mm. got that twinkle in his eye. You never know what he's up to on that red carpet in that interview. He's a little quirky, but you know whatever hijinks he gets into, (laughs) they'll be good-hearted. No, it seems to be that way, actually. He kind of is this, like, airy bubble, you know, that's just traveling around doing what it wants. Yeah, and so, like, what do you think it is that has made him this Internet hero of sorts? I think it might be to do with the fact that the generation that first watched Jurassic Park is coming, like, has come of age, and that is a, a very easy film to make into popular memes and uh, share around. Mm-hmm. And that nostalgia and joy, there is um, the fact that he's just incredibly stylish. I think he's up to style game. Yeah, he also does this thing where he does a lot to keep himself in the eye of the internet. Like, he had a food truck pop up in Sydney, Australia recently called Chef Goldblums. Uh, He reads books aloud to strangers on planes. It seems like he likes the game of internet memeology. Yeah, definitely. He's playing along. He's got a little wink towards it all. So I was trying to think of parallels to Jeff Goldblum and his role in internet culture right now. And and the only Mm -hmm. other actor I could think of was Kevin Bacon. 
because for a decade or two, everyone was into like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. And it was this game that you played around Kevin and his celebrity. But also it was this mythology making of Kevin where we put attributes onto him that we maybe didn't even know. Yeah, I do think you see that parallel? I, I do, definitely. But I think there's something a bit more diverse about the possibilities with Jeff Goldblum. It's almost a structured meme with Kevin Bacon because you're going down that chain mm-hmm. and adding things on. But with Jeff, it's just scattered everywhere and could take any form. You could just pop up <laughs> wherever. I was even trying to think of someone else the internet always likes. Like, everyone loves Meryl Streep. We just love her. Mm-hmm. But she's not nearly as memeable and not nearly as... She hasn't become nearly as much a figment of our imagination in the way that Jeff Goldblum has. And part of me was wondering after I thought about that, you know, is this whole actor we obsess over in a weird, quirky way, is that space only occupied, at least in my eyes, by men? I think there's only one woman I could think of who would possibly hold that spot if she ever got to that stage. I don't think it's happened, but Tilda Swinton. Because she has that kind of... She's a, she's kind of weird. But cool as well. Yeah. Last tidbit. Favorite Jeff Goldblum film role? Oh, don't make me choose. <laughs> Honestly, I've got a, a big place in my heart for his role in Ragnarok. Because it he feels like he just that. turned up on set and said whatever he wanted. This revolution has been a huge success. Yay us. Pat, pat on the back. Pat on the back. Come on. No? Me too. Because I've been a... A big part of it. Can't have a revolution without somebody to overthrow. So, uh, you're welcome. Helen McClory, uh, author of The Goldblum Variations, Adventures of Jeff Goldblum Across the Known and Unknown Universe. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to author Helen McClory, author of The Goldblum Variations. Back here in studio with Audie Cornish and Stephen Thompson. Can I tell you my Jeff Goldblum truth? Please. I don't know how it began, but for the last year or two, a group of friends and I have had a group text chain called Jeff Goldblum Forever. And we just send funny memes and GIFs and articles and photos of Jeff Goldblum He's to each other. He's built for it. Yeah. He's built he really for is. it. His face is just... Everything is too big, and it yeah. comes together in, in something so symmetrical. Uh, yes. My Jeff Goldblum story is the biggest humble brag ever, so I've never told mm. it. You're all hearing it on Tell It's it. Been a Minute. Yes. So I worked with the folks at Hamilton for a PBS special, and they said, oh. you have to see the show. And I was like, oh. but I have no monies. And they were like, we're going to send you to the show. You have to see it. Yeah. And when I saw it, uh, the seats next to me were empty. Mm. My husband goes to the restroom. Mm-hmm. And while he's in the restroom, a, a one Mr. Jeff Goldblum shows up mm. to squish into the seat I'm next your husband to me. Now. Wait, he yeah, takes, I know. He takes your husband's seat? No. He, there were empty seats. And oh. he sits down. And, he's, of course, he's enormous. He's all legs. It's like the fly is trying to sit in a Hamilton <laughs> seat. Yeah. And I text my husband, like, Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum, Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> don't look. Don't say anything. Don't look. Don't say anything. And he comes back. And he's like, what? Who? Is it Jeff who? Like, you know, like. <laughs> Totally no. uh, boomering the situation. He was boomering. But I bet Jeff loved the attention. I don't know. He just pretended not to hear, and I didn't uh. talk to him because I was too nervous. But I oh. literally was like, it distracted me from Hamilton. Oh, oh no! I could I could see being a Lin Manuel performance the night before the Tonys. Wow. But in my mind, I was like Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. That was Jeff the Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum performance. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR BRP. The following message comes from our sponsor, Westin Hotels and Resorts. Tina Edmondson, Global Brand Officer for Westin's parent company, Marriott International, explains why Westin is putting wellness at the core of their hotel experience. Wellness is definitely at the core of what we do. We're not just focused on, hey, let's have the most high-tech fitness centers and sort of call it a day and think that we have actually achieved something. I think there's a bigger mission in uh, trying to make sure that we are really providing travelers an opportunity to keep their wellness routine. We really believe that wellness is holistic. It's not only physical, but it's also mental health. And all of those things are combined. Weston's purpose is to have you feeling better when you leave than when you arrive. Explore at Weston.com, a member of Marriott Bonvoy. Happy Halloween, nerds. This week, don't miss a special batch of Halloween episodes from NPR's new daily science podcast, Shortwave. We're going to talk about parasites that take over and control the brains of their hosts. Yes. Much like a podcaster does to their audience. (laughs) Listen and subscribe to Shortwave from NPR. Hey, listeners, I want to ask for your help. We're doing a very special Thanksgiving episode in just a few weeks, and we need to hear from you for it. Send me an email. Send me a voice memo describing a crazy Thanksgiving story. Crazy, hilarious, sad, insane, whatever it is. We want your wacky Thanksgiving-ness. Let us know. Send some notes and stuff to samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. You could be in the podcast, on the radio. Hit us up. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined this weekend by Stephen Thompson, editor and reviewer for NPR Music, also panelist on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, and Audie Cornish, also a panelist on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. (laughs) Thank you. you. And when she's not doing that, she hosts a little show you may have heard of. It's called All Things Considered. It's on your radios. It is time for my favorite game, Who Said That? It never gets old. No, it does not. It never gets old. Uh, You both have played this game before. What's y'all's record? Do you remember? Um, I'm sure it's zero and zero because I'm terrible at it. Okay. Steven's probably won once or twice. I think I've won at some point, but I usually lose everything. Okay. Well, the game is quite simple. I share three quotes from the week of news. You have to guess who said that or at least get the story that I'm talking about. Get a keyword. Uh, The winner, per usual, gets absolutely nothing except for bragging rights. (laughs) Now, do do we buzz in or do we just... Just jump in with the Just answer. yell it out. Yell it out. First quote. Whether in restaurants, on the way to the game, or at our seats, Nats fans have been nothing but thoroughly friendly, engaging, and welcoming. Who said that? This language was in a quarter-page ad taken out in the Washington Post this week. What kind of person would run that kind of ad? Oh, oh, oh. right. Wait, uh, the Astros, Astros fans? Yes. The Astros coach? The oh, Astros fans. The yes. Astros took fans ad? took out an ad? That's so strange. An anonymous Astros fan took out a quarter-page ad in the Washington Post this week to thank Nats fans for being so nice while Astros supporters were in D.C. for the World Series. I'm from Massachusetts. Was this sarcasm? <laughs> 
know. Really? They were very earnest. And they said, speaking of Boston, uh, they said, sure, as we walk around in our Rainbow Astros gear, there is a typical good-natured banter, but none of the true vitriol we have experienced in other cities. Yeah, that's us. I'm, that's that's Boston. <laughs> 100%. I mean, but it was I, so sweet. Speaking as a Brewers fan who has attended mm-hmm. a, a Nats game, I, I will say I, I have experienced similar amounts of friendliness, less so as a Packer fan at the really? Washington football team stadium. Adi, you got that point. Oh, oh wait. Really? Because I helped you out. Oh, because I said <laughs> Astros. You did say Astros. I don't even want the point. I mean, I don't think okay, I deserve the point. You got the point. We got to move on. Next Oy. quote, Adi, you're up one zip. All right. Next quote. Next quote. For instance, it's not credible for us to say we're working hard to stop people from gaming our systems to spread misleading info. But if someone pays us to target and force people to see their political (laughs) ad, well, they can say whatever they want. Mark Zuckerberg. No, the other one. The other one. Jack Dorsey? Yes. Did y'all hear about this? I definitely lost that point. Jack trying to one-up Mark Uh in the Washington social media suck-up battles. Exactly. So that quote came from Twitter head Jack Dorsey. In a series of tweets this week, he laid out Twitter's new policy on political ads. And that policy is that Twitter won't run them at all. This is in response to Facebook head Mark Zuckerberg saying that his company's stance will be uh, Facebook will run ads from politicians if they pay for the ads and they will not be fact-checked by Facebook, which has made a lot of folks mad. And Dorsey seemed to this week try to one-up him and kind of give him a little subtle jab. Definitely a tweak. And also, Lord knows, no misinformation has ever been spread on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Twitter. (laughs) I just feel like, and I I don't ever want to seem like someone who feels sorry for these titans of tech, but no matter what Jack Dorsey does, no matter what Mark Zuckerberg does, they will not satisfy most people. No. Like, the Pandora's box is opened. It's another case of your own mythology falling apart. You came Mm -hmm. to the forefront of the public saying, we will change your lives Mm -hmm. for the better. We'll make everything easier. Everything will be glorious. Mm -hmm. And then it was like... Uh, welp. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry um, about that. Also, we're just the a product is you, mm-hmm. but we're not a utility. Mm-hmm. But maybe you could pay for some of it, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. But they want to play it both ways, and right. that's why they're struggling. Can't do that. Can't do that. Last quote. I said to the responder that I am in full Halloween makeup and don't want them to be frightened. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> what Halloween costume would give a first responder the most fright? Oh, <laughs> I thought this was a reference to Wendy Williams, <laughs> who got terrified by an audience member dressed like a zombie. Google it. It's amazing. <laughs> she stops the show and is like, security. <laughs> okay. No, this is... your story. It also sounds intriguing. <laughs> this is a quote from a woman who was dressed up going out for Halloween. Okay. Got in a car accident. Her car was totaled. <gasps> oh, but as she calls first this. responders, she says, when you get here, don't be too alarmed. It's oh. just my Halloween costume. Is she dressed as a corpse? No, she was She's dressed, dressed as a something bride. Bloody. Dressed something very bloody. Carrie. Yes. From the movie uh, Carrie. Yes. Dressed like Sissy Spacek. Three for three. You just annihilated <laughs> You just destroyed <laughs> With me. assistance. With assistance. <laughs> no, no. This no, one no, was no. much more of a point the than the first one. The Sissy reference is so... I was not helped with that. Okay. That's knowledge no. that floats I, in my I, brain uh-huh. in Absolutely. spite of okay. my best efforts, uh-huh. not because of. Yes. <laughs> so that quote comes from 20-year-old Sydney Wolf. She totaled her car in Ohio this week uh, after she hit a deer, which mm. happens sometimes. Oh. From Wisconsin, uh, it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. But 
as she's calling 911 to get help to come out to see her, she said, hey, when you show up, <laughs> don't be too alarmed. It's just my Halloween costume. She was dressed as Carrie from the film Carrie, yeah. which means she was wearing a prom dress with blood all over <laughs> her face in the dress. I say this as someone who, honestly, I can't stand adult Halloween. Mm. Um, <laughs> I love it. Don't yeah. at me. Um, <laughs> I love adult Halloween. <laughs> I, I just think Halloween's for the kids and it's a wrap, but uh, uh-huh. I'm going to give props to what sounds like an amazing costume. Yeah. Speaking of props, uh, congrats to you, Audie Cornish. You won. You swept. Who swept. said that? That was a. That was just. <laughs> yeah. A congratulations, I Boomer. I actually forgot this was a competition. Like yeah, when you yeah, started saying congratulations, that's, I was like, "Did I win?" That's, that's how. E- that's how easy it was to defeat me. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> that concludes who said that. Congratulations, Audie and Stephen too. Now it's time to end the show as we always do. Every week we ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. They always do. Brent, hit the tape. Hi, Sam. I hope this finds you well. My name is Meron. Hi, this is Rasagna. Hi, this is Mohammed. Hi, this is Elizabeth. Hi, I'm Aya. We are first-year medical students in North Carolina, and the best thing that happened to us this week is we... Finished anatomy! anatomy. (laughs) It's our first milestone in medical school, and we are super excited. Bye! Woo! Hi, Sam. This is Danielle from Ravenna, Ohio. The best part of my week was that I gave out full-sized candy bars for trick-or-treat yesterday. The best thing that's happened to me this week is that I turned 50. The best part of my week was driving a combined nine hours to adopt my new kitten, Nova. Hey, Sam. It's Katie from North Carolina. October's been kind of a crummy month for my husband and I, so we decided to take a trip last weekend to Washington, D.C. to see our best friend, Neither of us have been since we were in middle school on those trips where you rode in on a charter bus. And that trip to D.C. was just what we needed. Hi, Sam. The best part of my week was that I and my 73-year-old mother, who's a two-time breast cancer survivor, flew down to Texas to spend the week um, with my 22-year-old daughter, who has transplanted herself down there. It was a really, really good week for us three generations to be together, enjoying Texas when it wasn't too hot. We had good food and lots of laughs, and actually, that was the best part of my month. Love your show. Thanks, Sam. And I hope you're having a great week. Wow, that was good. Yeah. yeah. So sweet. Shout out to Danielle with the full-size candy bars. I know. <laughs> the Lord's you. work right yes. there. Yes. Yes. Also, shout out to those first-year med students. I can't yeah. even imagine how hard med school is. So kudos to them for sounding so cheerful. I was, was going to say the same thing. Not right? burned-out med students. That's enough for me. <laughs> Many thanks to all the listeners you heard there. Medon and all her friends in North Carolina enjoying med school. Danielle, Dave, Kelsey, Katie, and Andrea. Listeners, we listen to all that you send us every week. So send us the sound of your voice. Record a voice memo on your phone. Email the best parts of your week to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. Uh, time to say goodbye to both of you. Aww. Thanks again to my guest, Stephen Thompson of NPR Music and the wonderful NPR podcast, Pop Culture Happy Hour. And Audie Cornish, also a panelist on <laughs> NPR's Pop Culture Happy Frequent Hour. Frequent guest. And a host uh, of NPR's All Things Considered. I want to leave you both with one more little snippet, yeah. tidbit of OK Boomer. Okay. <laughs> I'm dancing. Are y'all dancing like boomers? I think you are. I love it. I can dance no other way. Yes. All right. 
That's a wrap. I want to thank the fine folks that make this show every week. This week, It's Been a Minute was produced by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry, and Jason Fuller. Big shout out to Jason Fuller, who has been with us for a few weeks, few months, and is moving on to some other stuff. We appreciate you and we'll miss you, man. Uh, our fearless editors are Kitty Isley and Alex McCall. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Our engineer is Josh Newell. All right, listeners, till next time, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL. Because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts.